Grace and peace to you all, and welcome to the Calvary Road with Pastor Sam Allen. In Tabernacles, it celebrates, well, God's presence with them and provision for them. As he led them in a cloud by day and as a pillar of fire by night for 40 years during their wilderness wandering period. He guided, he provided as they wandered in the wilderness of aptly named sin. In today's broadcast, we have a new two-part study from Pastor Sam entitled, The Feast of Tabernacles. We're gonna be looking at John chapter seven in its entirety. And chapter seven takes place during the Feast of Tabernacles and is full of proclamations of whom Jesus is and how those proclamations befuddled those who rejected him. So let's listen in. Israel celebrated seven annual feasts. Of those, three were mandatory for all males who were in any reasonable distance, who had any possibility of getting there. Those three, Passover, Pentecost, and the feast before us, Tabernacles. Passover, of course, celebrated the blood of the lamb that covered over the sins of men and, and the deliverance of the children of Israel from bondage there in Egypt. So it's a celebration of their freedom, of, of their redemption, of God uh, passing over literally the household where the blood was applied, where the word was heard, understood, and obeyed. Well, then 50 days later, Pentecost. And Pentecost is a, well, it's a harvest celebration as is Tabernacles. But for them, it was first fruits agriculturally. For us, of course, it goes further because on the day of Passover, and you should know this, our Lord would be arrested and ultimately sacrificed. He gave his life for our sins. No one took it from him, he would say. But on Pentecost, the Lord poured out his spirit 50 days after Passover and the church was birthed. Now there was a small group, 120 already meeting, already following, but that small group became 3,120 after Peter preached the gospel on the day of Pentecost. So we have salvation through the blood at Passover. We have the power of the spirit coming upon the 120 and then sealing the one, the 3,120. And then we have tabernacles. Passover, by the way, so important on their calendar that it changed the calendar. They, God said, this for now and for forever will be the first month of the year. So he takes, you know, a different season and he says, now this is the new first month. So seven months uh, down the road, Tabernacles, it's a seven-day feast, as was Passover, Pentecost being a one-day celebration. And, uh, and Tabernacles, it celebrates, well, God's presence with them and provision for them. As he led them in a cloud by day and as a pillar of fire by night for 40 years during their wilderness wandering period. He guided, he provided, as they wandered in the wilderness of aptly named sin. That's where they were, amazing. Well, 
We read here then, and and our chapter today breaks nicely into three sections, each of them directly related in some way to the Feast of Tabernacles. Uh, Verses 1 through 13, just prior to and entering in. Verses 14 through 36, the middle of the feast. And then verses 37 through 53, the last great day of the Feast of Tabernacles. Well, we read... Uh, John 7, verse 1, after these things, Jesus walked in Galilee, for he did not want to walk in Judea because the Jews sought to kill him. By the way, the reason they want to kill him is because they believe he had broken their Sabbath, not God's, theirs. God had a plan for the Sabbath. They had all sorts of rules and regulations and restrictions and punishments related to violating what they believed the Sabbath should be. But anyway, they had determined he needed to be killed because they thought he broke the Sabbath when he healed the man at the pool of Bethesda and told him to take his bed and walk. And then he made himself equal with God. So the two charges were he broke the Sabbath. The second was that he claimed to be one with the Father, making himself equal with God. By the way, that will be the charge for which they condemn him, the Jews. Of course, that won't be enough for Pilate and his gang. And so they'll have other charges all trumped up, pardon the pun, uh, for that season. Well, anyway, the Jews, and this is talking about the Jewish leaders, the establishment there. They sought to kill him and the Jews' feast of tabernacles was at hand. His brothers therefore said to him, depart from here and go into Judea that your disciples also may see the works that you are doing. For no one does anything in secret while he himself seeks to be known openly. If you do these things, show yourself to the world. For even his brothers did not believe in him. It's interesting, they're entering into a great holiday season of celebration. We're doing the same. And there are so many parallels between what was happening then and what's happening today. Danger awaited Jesus in Judea and especially in Jerusalem. And he's heading down there. Well, it says up, he's north, but you're always going up if you go to Jerusalem. So so he's heading up, but he's not ready to go yet. And take note of this, he's got issues at home because his brothers don't yet believe in him. And because of that, well, they're robbing him of something family should always provide and that's security and fellowship and, and well, comfort, the comfort of those who know you best and love you even though they know you best. Of course, they had the opposite problem than we have and that our relatives have with us. They knew that he never done one thing wrong in his whole life. We live with people and celebrate with people who've done a thing or two wrong and they've got stuff on us too. So the holidays, while we look forward with some anticipation, some look forward with some, well, concern about how It's all going to be. Well, note one more thing before we press on. His brothers are doing something very similar to what Satan did when he tempted Jesus. They're suggesting you need to get up there. You need to show your stuff. You need to prove who you are, but not because they believe in him, but because they don't believe in him. And what was Satan's suggestion? Throw yourself down. 
because the scriptures say he'll give his angels charge over you lest you dash your foot against a stone. Well, they're tempting Jesus and he's not falling for it. So Jesus says to them, verse six, my time has not yet come, but your time is always ready. The world cannot hate you, but it hates me because I testify of it that its works are evil. You go up to this feast. I'm not yet going up to the feast for my time has not yet fully come. And when he had said these things to them, he remained in Galilee. Important to recall, Jesus tells his disciples and he would say the same to us today, followers of Jesus committed to him, his disciples, if they hate you, know this, they hated me first. In fact, if people despise us, let it only be for righteousness sake. He says the world hated him because he told them what they were doing was sinful. And listen, we don't have to shout that at people. We can simply say, you know, what you're doing is it's, it's self-defeating. It's, it's self-defiling. It's going to damage your health, your relationships, your sanity. And, and then they look at you and say, hey, come on, hater. Like, you know, if you love someone, you tell them the truth. Jesus always told the truth and Jesus loved every person. Well, anyway, when his brothers had gone up, he also went up to the feast, but not openly as it were in secret, but as it were in secret. Then the Jews sought him at the feast and said, where is he? And there was much complaining, discussing, debating among the people concerning him. Some said, he is good. Others said, no, on the contrary, he deceives the people. However, no one spoke openly of him for fear of the Jews. Whenever you read those words, the Jews, it's talking about the Jewish religious leaders. It's not talking about the nation or all the people gathered for the feast. It's estimated 2 million people could show up for these feasts. So it's a huge influx of people celebrating God. And, and by the way, worship, sacrifice, fellowship, every good thing God's purposed and planned for us, they were experiencing. And that can be our reality as we move into this holiday season. Well, you know, and I'm sure many of you have experienced that holidays, while a joy for most, they're difficult for some. And for some who lost everything in that fire last year, just the reminder that it was this time of year, this very time a year ago, our halls were packed with people who'd come to, to minister and Billy Graham Association, Franklin Graham Samaritan's Purse, they were all on site. We had a huge Thanksgiving dinner in the hallway because, well, you know, there was nowhere, we didn't really have a way to do all that we wanted to do. It overflowed into the overflow. But if you are still st struggling with all that or suffering as a result of that, just know you're in good company because, well, loss is common to us. And while we haven't all experienced the same loss, we've all experienced loss. While we celebrate with family and friends, well, many of us have lost parents. I'm among them. Some of us have lost siblings. I'm in that school too. Uh, some have lost, you know, children. And I can't imagine a, a, a greater 
um, you know, sense of loss. But, but all of that to say this, that, that we have the Lord and he has us well in hand. And his plan is to help us learn not just to deal with our reality, but to thrive in spite of it, to thrive in the midst of it. Well, anyway, here we are and, um, you know, it's the middle of the feast. So that's, we transition from that first section already into the second section. Verse 14 says, now about the middle of the feast, Jesus went up into the temple and taught. We've spoken to this reality in the past. He never got into the temple proper. He didn't go into the temple because he wasn't a Levitical priest. He didn't go into the Holy of Holies in the temple because he wasn't a descendant of Aaron. He's the lion of the tribe of Judah. So when it says he taught in the temple, he's teaching in the temple courts. He's in the outer areas where the masses of people were welcome, where anyone could actually come and listen to him teach. So middle of the feast, he's in the temple courts. He begins to teach and the Jews marveled saying, how does this man know letters having never studied? Listen, so important. He hadn't studied with them and they thought that left him ignorant. And all of a sudden he's not ignorant and they're like, wow, how in the world does he know these things? How does he know the scriptures? The letters they speak of are the scriptures themselves. Well, listen, don't imagine for a moment, as some do, he just knew it miraculously. Some of us aren't the best students and we're just praying, Lord, could you just like download all that to me somehow so I just know it all and can recall it all. And listen, he'll bring to your remembrance the things he's taught you, but you do need to be taught them. You can listen, you can read, but, but the bottom line is this. Jesus didn't just know it all because he was the son of God. He grew just as we do in wisdom, in stature, in favor with God and with man. And so they're wondering how could he possibly know what he knows? How could he speak the way he does when he's never even been instructed by us? They may have forgotten at 12 years old, Jesus had come up to the temple because he was a male and he went to every feast as they all did. And at 12, he sat and discussed for days with the religious leaders at that time, answering questions, asking questions, contemplating out loud as was their habit. And, and so they're just saying, hey, how in the world does he know what he knows? How did he get it? Because he never studied with us. And in their mind, if you're not with them, you're not at all with anyone. Jesus answered them and said, my doctrine, my teaching, these things I'm sharing, my doctrine is not mine, but his who sent me. If anyone wills to do his will, he shall know concerning the doctrine, whether it is from God or whether I speak on my own authority. He who speaks from himself seeks his own glory, but he who seeks the glory of the one who sent him is true and there is no unrighteousness in him. Listen, Jesus' doctrine is from the Father and he knows that the two things they're still dwelling on is that he healed a man and told him to take up his bed and walk, work in their mind on the Sabbath. And then he equated himself to God. He made himself equal with God. So rather than duck those issues, he heads straight into them. He'll touch on the Sabbath in a moment, but he starts with the bigger issue. 
that they have problems that he's saying, I came down from heaven. And by the way, that teaching took place up in Galilee. We looked at it last time. Now we're down in Jerusalem, but you got to know there are people who were up there who were now down or down and up. It's so strange for them. But anyway, who are there in Jerusalem as he is. So, So here's what happens. He begins to talk about the father and he's saying, listen, I'm not just teaching you things. I'm teaching you what the father gives me to say. That's the answer to the the question, by the way. Whatever he hadn't learned along the road, through the word, the father was sharing with him because they spent time in contact constantly. And so um, my doctrine, it's not mine, it's from him. Uh, My will is to do his will. And And he does say, if anyone wills to do his will, he'll know concerning the doctrine, whether it's from God or whether I'm speaking on my own authority. What Jesus is saying is the real obstacle to understanding his teaching is a problem of the heart and not of the mind. It's volitional, not intellectual. So when people say, I just can't believe in a God I can't see, or I just can't believe this book that was just written by men, We're going to see a lot of people saying a lot of things that are very much like that. Now, they're not unbelieving, but they're going to, in their ignorance, say things that make sense to them, but they really don't make sense. He's saying, listen, if you can't understand these things, it's because you really don't want to. Not that you're unable or that they're so difficult. Pride, envy, selfish ambition, they blind men to and rob them of the truth. He asked the question in verse 19, did not Moses give you the law, yet none of you keeps the law? Why do you seek to kill me? Um, This is going to open a can of worms, of course. I'm a person that likes to avoid conflict, so if I know something I say is going to inflame the other person, ordinarily I won't say it. That doesn't mean I don't murmur under my breath just like you do. I have a particular problem in the car, and the problem is I figure they can't hear me, but sometimes I forget Pam's with me. And uh, she's like, you really shouldn't be talking like that way about them. I said, I'm not talking about them. I'm talking to them. And they just can't hear me, but I wish they could. But she says, I wish I couldn't. But anyway, I'm sure I'm the only one who's ever had that conversation. I remember John Corson saying that that one day he's in the car and his kid said, Mom, they're all, all the whole family was together. Mom, how come all the idiots only come out when dad's driving? <laughs> so, so anyway, the people, the people say, you have a demon. So, so he says, hey, Moses gave you the law. You're not keeping the law. Why do you want to kill me? And the people answered and said, you have a demon. Who's seeking to kill you? Well, see, he knew they didn't. They didn't realize that there was already a a plan and a plot to take Jesus out, to do him in. And we're six months away from that reality at this point. So Jesus answered and said, I did one work and you all marvel. He's talking about 
speaking to that man who had lain for 38 years, unable to walk, unable to work, unable to fully function. He healed him with a word. The man takes his bed and he walks and, and they're all upset because of when it happened. Rather than looking at what happened, they're like, well, that shouldn't have happened on a day like this. What day is a better day than to fully restore someone who can't function than on the Sabbath that was given so man could rest and worship. Well, Moses gave you circumcision, he says, verse 22, not that it is from Moses, but from the fathers. And you circumcise a man on the Sabbath. If a man receives circumcision on the Sabbath, so the law of Moses should not be broken, are you angry with me because I made a man completely well on the Sabbath? Do not judge according to appearance, but judge with righteous judgment. Now, some of them from Jerusalem said, is this not he whom they seek to kill? But look, he speaks boldly and they say nothing to him. Do the rulers know indeed that this is truly the Christ? However, and here's where they begin to show and share their ignorance. We know where this man is from. But when the Christ comes, no one knows where he is from. We call it, or they call it, pop theology today. It's just popular theology, not biblical theology. There was this idea that floated about that when the Messiah comes, he would just appear out of nowhere. That's not actually what the Bible taught. It isn't what the Bible teaches. Micah 5.2 said he would be born in Bethlehem. Daniel, if you go back and look at his timeline, reveals that the season in which, if not the very days in which our Lord would be born. And, and so, but, but beyond all that, we have Isaiah speaking to the reality of the virgin birth. So, so much could be known simply by reading their scriptures, but instead they're like, hey, I heard that he's just gonna appear. And by the way, when they say, we know where this man's from, they really didn't. And we'll see that in a moment. Well, he told them in the last chapter, John 6, where over and over he said, I came down from the Father. I came down from heaven. The Father sent me that all who believe in me will live forever. Well, as Jesus cried out, then Jesus cried out, verse 28, as he taught in the temple saying, you both know me and you know where I am from. I've not come of myself, but he who sent me is true, whom you do not know. But I know him, for I, I am from him, and he sent me. Now, there's no confusion in the minds of those who've already decided Jesus needs to die Therefore, verse 30, they sought to take him, but no one laid a hand on him because his hour had not yet come. And many of the people believed in him and said, when the Christ comes, will he do more signs than these, which this man has done? Six months after all of this, Jesus will have gone home. He'll come back for the, the Passover feast and they will determine the very same thing They'll decide we've got to put him to death and they'll say, but not during the Passover, lest there be an uproar. Of course, he is put to death during the Passover. Why? Because that's what the father had in mind. The time was the father's and he says, my time, my hour has not yet come. My hour, my time has not yet come. And then he'll say, my hour has come. The time is here. 
So why would God make the Feast of Tabernacles, which was a celebration of God's presence with them and provision for them, mandatory for his children? Well, it's God's will that we are thankful. 1 Thessalonians 5.18 tells us, In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. So why is this so important? Well, there's quite a few reasons, but I want to mention one today. When we fail to recognize a simple truth, which is the truth that every good and perfect gift comes down from God, we begin to give credit for those gifts to the wrong person. We can take the credit for ourselves due to our hard work and our ingenuity, or we can credit good luck, which is just another way of saying there's some other power other than God at work. You see, a lack of thanksgiving for the good and perfect gifts in our lives can lead to pride. Pride in ourselves that we can get things done without God being part of it or needing Him. And this is a very dangerous road to go down. Remember that pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. The Calvary Road is a ministry of Calvary Chapel Chico, and you can visit our website, ccchico.com, or download the CC Chico app to contact us and listen to other studies from Pastor Sam. You can also listen to The Calvary Road as a daily podcast by visiting thecalvaryroad.com. We'd love to hear from you. And until next time, may you find grace and peace as your journey takes you down the Calvary Road. And your grace.